Hello, and welcome to the Essential Conversations podcast series, a podcast for behavioral health providers in Iowa, Kansas, Missouri, and Nebraska. Each person who enters recovery is as unique as the story that they bring with them. And this month, in honor of Recovery Month, we will be bringing you recovery stories from people in diverse populations. Hear what people in these communities want providers to know. I hope you enjoy. Hi, my name is Darla Bellflower, and I am a person in long-term recovery. I am doing a project for the Addiction Technology Transfer Center, having essential conversations with people from diverse communities. And my guest today is Hector. Hector, thank you for joining me. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. And I'm thinking of us, so thank you. Right on. I will just get right into the questions. I know that you live in Missouri now, but where are you originally from? So I am originally from Mexico, uh, Guadalajara, Jalisco. was born there, lived there up until third grade. And around that age, third grade is when I moved to the States, moved to Arkansas, Northwest Arkansas, and basically was raised there and just recently moved here to Missouri about three years ago this month. And I know that you're a person in recovery. And like we talked about a little bit earlier and in our earlier conversations is recovery can look very different for every person. It's something that can be very unique. And as I shared with you, my recovery is abstinence everything because that's what I choose. Uh, and I know that there's a lot of different definitions of recovery. What does recovery look like for you? Uh, it would be a process of like a more holistic self, a more a continuation, I would say better, a continuation of a, of a holistic, healthier version of me. It looks like recovery from the family disease, knowing that my father, my grandfather, were people who used drugs, who we would consider to have a substance use disorder. And so for me, separating myself from from that trend, that pattern of the the family disease, and and honestly, like practicing, practicing harm reduction through prevention. It sounds like a couple of things. You know, as you were talking, I was reminded of SAMHSA's definition of recovery, which is a process of change through which the individuals improve their health and wellness, live a self-directed life, and strive to reach their full potential, which is exactly what you described. So that was spot on. Um, You also talked about it being a family disease, and it sounds like that you have decided to end that cycle and Mm -hmm. that you know, you're not perpetuating that, but you also talked about like a harm reduction model. What does that look like for you? It means knowing, knowing my, my background and knowing that genetically uh, I'm predisposed to substance use disorder because of, of my family and my history, just like Uh women who has breast cancer you know, they take measures to reduce the harm of possibly 
getting breast cancer or even like, yeah, to some extent, yeah, like getting a mastectomy before it gets there. So for me, that's what that meant. Like growing up, it meant like realizing that 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 was in my family. And because of that, I refused or I actually practiced at complete abstinence up until I felt like I was an age where I felt comfortable using and then and then that's that's another story like then harm reduction after i did start using substances looked different and looked like not drinking and driving for me things like that that's actually a really smart and good point we know so much more about the brain than we did even a decade ago and we know that the brain continues to develop until the age of 25 and People who use or drink, especially who misuse substances or alcohol, then, you know, are at a greater rate or a greater chance of developing a substance use disorder. So that's actually kind of cool. I know that whenever we talked a little bit earlier, we talked about the different labels that you use or the different um, sexuality or gender or all of that. So tell us a little bit about that for you. So I definitely identify within the LGBTQ plus community. I identify as a queer man. And yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that, that as I've grown into saying that with confidence has come with a lot, a lot of self-reflection, the self-reflection, the confidence that comes with like saying that now definitely has to do with with like my beliefs on the importance of of giving back to to that community and being a voice for people that maybe at one point felt they did not have a voice or p- people that still uh, you know live live in places or in circumstances where saying that you're queer is the scariest thing in the world. Yeah. And I know that whenever we talked you talked a little bit about how with your culture, that that was not a super easy journey. What is your race or and or ethnicity? Yes. So um, I am Hispanic. And so from what you know about Hispanic communities, we're very tight knit. And then it also comes with a lot of um, respect to, to like, you know, your grandparents. So anything that they say kind of goes to almost an unhealthy measure. Um, Also, it comes with ties to the Catholic Church, (laughs) Um, at least uh, for those first generation immigrants from Mexico. It really is. It's a it's a very strong tie to the Catholic Church and those beliefs. And so it was almost like gay being gay, the word gay was just something that if you associated yourself with, for lack of a better term, or to just be honest, was uh, a sentence to hell. And for a young and like for a young, for a young person like me growing up in that, I mean, that was the scariest thing. You don't, I mean, you don't. If your parents are telling you that they're going to go to heaven and everyone around you is going to go to heaven and, you know, all these things like you want to be that too. And so it came, it came with a lot of, again, uh, self-reflection and 
understanding that that there is safer places out in the world and um, out there that will support you and love you, um, even if you do still want to continue to be in a space of a, a religious space. How is that all for you now? Um, how is your family with you now? So I see this is the the second phase I would say of of my of my journey to the like what I mentioned earlier, like continuation to like being a more whole like holistic person of myself, which includes that. Like I feel like my gender identity uh, came like hand in hand with my substance use, uh, even whenever I did choose to do that. And so to answer your question, moving to Kansas City and giving myself space for my family, from my family, um, to discover who I was, was probably one of the best and also hardest things that I've dealt with because when you're far away and loneliness, uh, yeah. I would say is the worst, the worst companion when it comes to like a person in recovery from college, I was like, okay, you drink. And that's like such a cultural thing, just a college culture thing kind of like had to unravel and realize like, okay, like me doing this is not working out. It's not fixing me and my relationship with my family and being queer. And so it came down to just, I mean, talking, talking to them. Um, I had this whole idea in my head, especially I think because of my, like my generation of like coming out videos and all that stuff. And I remember watching that on YouTube growing up, like I'm going to make a, make a big grand entrance to the world about who I am now, but I realized that I didn't have to do that, that I didn't, didn't owe anything to the world. I didn't have to tell the world, but I got to a place where I could tell my, my siblings. And I was like, Hey, this is why I, I literally texted them. I was like, this is yeah. who I am, you know? Um, and that was it. And I realized that it didn't have to be more than that. And yeah, I, I mean, from there, you also have expectations now. They're like, oh, now that they know, they're going to like ask me like about dating. But that's also right. just not how it works either. Like they're probably still trying to like figure that out themselves. Like how how do I talk to Hector, even though he is the same person, even though nothing has changed, even though we already knew, how do we talk to him? And so then there's, there, you know, like this, it's just like this, like with any other relationship, I have unvoiced expectations about what that means, what me coming out to them means. And so just like with anything else, you know, that doesn't lead to great results if they don't know what my expectations are of them. So. Right. Cause it's, yeah. Cause it's, it's kind of like that they're on their own journey, you know, regarding you also. And so, yeah, I like what you said about unspoken expectations. That was spot on. Whenever I talked with you about doing this interview, I discussed with you that, you know, the goal is to help educate people who provide services to folks with substance use disorders or substance misuse disorders about marginalized communities, healthcare providers, counselors, therapists, all of the people, right? We've all had our own experiences with them 
that maybe you're not always so positive. So what would you think that would be important for providers to know about people who maybe have some of the labels that you have, you know, your first generation, your um, Latino, you are queer identifying in recovery, like all the things, right? So what would you want them to know about any or all parts of you? <laughs> you know, that was the one question that I really, really thought about a lot um, over the past couple of days to just, what really do I want them to know? And it, I, it just always came down to the word fear. I feel like for a person like me, being all the things that you have mentioned, um, you know, queer, an immigrant, Latino, in recovery, all those things already come with a weight that I have to carry for myself. And it is so hard to ask for help when you feel like without without bringing politics into this, the world is too worried about that rather than like a real person who is dealing with all these things and is just wanting help. That's, that's the thing that I would say that from my experience, you know, going through all of this process and even working myself like on the other side as a provider, I see the fear that like going to a, to Casey care is like, it's just like walking in there and like as an immigrant, you're not used to going to go get help. As an immigrant, they're like, you have your family and that's it. Stepping into a building and and doing that and even like getting like getting tested for like uh, STIs or HIV was such a fear. Like I remember thinking like, I rather not know if I have this than to go and find out because of just like the fear that I carried with me of what the provider would think of me, what my family would think of me, what everyone yeah. would think of me. Those are all really good points that, you know, as as a lesbian coming out, you know, family, friends, that happened a very long time ago for me. But every time I go to a new healthcare provider, you know, I have to come out all over again and not knowing what their attitudes, beliefs um, are around that. There is fear with that. And I know that, you know, I love how you said not bringing politics into it. There's no way not to right now in our current climate. So I'm just going to validate that for you, that being an immigrant, I would imagine, because I am not, I am a very white female person. Um, and, uh, for those listeners, when I say very white, I have white hair. I'm just very pale, blue eyes, like I'm very white. And so I have privilege with that. And I know that, um, but I can only imagine given the current climate specifically about immigrants, that that would be fearful, you know, to not know how they're going to react or um, how they may treat you as a result of that status. Like that perpetuates all of my other, all, like all of the other like ways in which I am using substances with 
just like my relationships with my family, with like my like my workplace, like it's just like a yeah, like it 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 was all hand in hand. It definitely shaped a lot of of um my habits, I would say. So um once I decided to do this project, um I decided to look up what the theme for recovery month 2023 is because every year is a different theme and this year the theme is every person every family every community can you tell me what that means to you um that to me means the first thing i think of is definitely my father he's not in the states um but he is in a community and he is a person and he is a part of a family and so for the longest time i thought that what like what this disease was was him he wasn't anything other than just that mm-hmm. um, and that's also again how I would describe my recovery like over the past three years I realized that that is not him that he is beyond that even if he's still actively living as a person who uses drugs substances so that's what that means to me. I think it gives visibility to um, a majority of the people who are experiencing a hard day, a hard week, a hard month here. It gives dignity to a person. That person is my dad. Like it, it is. And even though like I have not spoken to him in years because of like his substance use disorder, like I, like he's still a person. There's something that we talk about in uh, at first call. There we have uh, this class called how to cope, and there is a there is a activity that we do as part of one of the groups um, where we write a letter to the disease. Mm-hmm. Knocked me off my socks because that's when I realized, or that's when for me, the disease was no longer my dad. When I was writing to this disease, it was no longer him. It was the disease. And it gives humanity to to all of us. It brings humanity. And I love that. I love that. Hector, is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners? Um, be kind. You are loved. You know, there's... There, there are, there's just so many things out there in the world. Like there's just like hard minutes, hard days, hard hours that may like feel like an infinity. And my hope is that people know that they're loved, even when you don't feel it. Because there's someone out there that does love them. Hector, I want to thank you for being my guest today. You were amazing. And I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. And um, again, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. This podcast series is brought to you by the Mid-America Addiction Technology Center funded by SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. Although funded by SAMHSA, this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of SAMHSA.